If you have Bibles, you can turn to Haggai, to chapter 2. We'll get there in a moment, and it will come up on the screen as well. We're in chapter 2 today, after last night, Gareth so helpfully unpacking to us the contents of chapter 1. Haggai is a book of prophetic imagination. That's what I like to call it. He is a prophet in the latter days, and he is imagining what the people of God should be, not what they are currently. As he is imagining prophetically and hearing from the word of the Lord, it's like he is looking at the people of God and rejecting the new normal that they have found themselves in. It's like he is rejecting the mediocrity that their lives were. It's like there is a profoundly deep cry from a spirit-filled man that goes something like, I know there's something more for us than this. And I will not settle for less. And as he begins to challenge and probe his way into the deepest parts of their hearts, and this morning our hearts, I pray that there would be a a holy discontent in us for all the ways that we are not walking in the fullness of the promise to be children of the faith. And so let's read and then let's pray together. Haggai chapter 2, starting from verse 1. In the seventh month, in the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord God. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations So that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory in this house will be greater than the former, declares, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Lord, you have our hearts this morning, and we submit ourselves to your word. 
pray, fountain of life, may the living words of the living God breathe over our dead bones. Giver of life, would you send your, your mighty Ruach, your spirit, to be both our constant companion and to be power from on high. I pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we look over the book of Haggai, both chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's clear that the people of God are not in a good place. And yet trying to describe the place that they're in can be difficult because there's so much that's going on. There's a mix of disappointments. There's a mix of discouragement. There's a, a mix of falling away from what they should have been as the people of God. There's a sense in which the promises that they inherited from their parents and their grandparents from generation after generation have not been held and not been picked up, which is strange when these people are the generation who returned. These are the guys who got out. These are the guys who got back on course. And yet there is a strange sense that they are not where they should be still. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament theologian, describes the people of God as being in a season of disorientation. And I think that's a really good description of where they are, a good mix of all that they are facing. You know that thing that you could do, don't do it, but, but, but you could do when you spin around yourself really, really fast. Let's say you spin as fast as you can around yourself for 30 seconds, just round and round and round and round. And then after 30 seconds, someone says, go. And your job when they say go is to just run, to sprint as fast as you can in a straight line. And then after that first step, on the floor. Or maybe they got lucky and they made it two or three, but their steps are one over here and one over there, like they're trying to dance or something. The disorientation that comes when you just feel really dizzy and you're not sure of where your surroundings are. And, and before you started spinning, you were on firm level ground, but now you swear that the earth is moving. You are not. It's the world around you that's moving. And then you try to go in that direction, that front line, forward pace, and you, you just can't make it, can you? You can't move forward in a direction. There's too much dizziness. There's too much surroundings. There's too much uncertainty that's going on. You are disorientated from your surroundings. And this makes sense. It makes sense because what had happened to these people in the exile was everything that informed their identity had been ripped away from them. They were ripped away from the promises. They were ripped away from the places. They were ripped away from their people. They stood and watched their city in ruins. They stood and watched their temple be desecrated. And as they walked off for 70 long years, I wonder if they thought, is that the end of the promise? Did we mess this up too bad this time? And so everything that made them a child of God now seems to be up in the air and, and up in questions. And then when they return... When they return from the exile, when they return from the world gone dark in their eyes, 
there is a sense of, well, what are we going back to? Is the world still the same? Is our identity going to be fully restored? Do, do the promises still count? Is the temple still going to be the dwelling place of the glory of the Lord? Is Jerusalem still going to be that city on a hill? Uh, am I still going to be his child? Am I still going to be able to enter into the favor that I have with God? They are the questions that must have been going on in the, in the hearts and the minds of these people. Post-colonial scholar Edward Say describes a, a season, a period of exile like this. He describes it as a disorientated sense of belonging. And that's where these people are, disorientated from themselves and whatever made them them. And friends, part of the disorientation that I, I think these people would have felt is that what they used to find stable and secure is no longer stable and secure. And therefore, everything that they used to trust in their past, they're no longer sure that they can trust in. And then another part of the disorientation is as they are going forward, away from their past and into their future, there must have been a fear that maybe, maybe the former days would have been certainty that you, you know where you're coming from and that should be good, but you're not too sure what you're going to. And so you feel uncertain. Part of the disorientation that the people of God would have experienced in this moment is the fact that on their return, their relationship with God was not automatically reinstated through their own actions. The, the people of God belong in the presence of God. But when they get back into the place where God had set for them, the presence of God was still not there because the temple was still in ruins. And so there was no automatic reinstation of the very thing that made them the people of God. The people of God is where the presence of God is. They are the set-apart ones for the Holy One. But, but is that still applied? Is that still true for them? And this is what Haggai addresses here in chapter 2. He addresses their sense of belonging and who they are before their Lord. You see, friends, disorientated people are purposeless because they can't direct themselves forwards. And if they are purposeless, they are also powerless. And Haggai needs to address both of these things. It's a, it's a little bit like uh, this prophet is doing a wheel alignment in their hearts. Mechanics, you can prove me wrong, but, but when you're putting in new tires, you need to realign the wheels. And if you don't realign the wheels, if they're not in the correct positions, all able to move in exactly the right direction at the exact right time, what could happen is your tires will get very worn out very quickly, and you'll soon need to replace them. If you want to be not worn out any longer, if you want to not be weary anymore, if you want to throw away the exhaustion of our disorientation in the world in the last few years, you need to be realigned to who you are and to who he is once again. And that's what we find here. In these nine verses, the first part is the introduction. The, the latter part is what God is going to do. But verses four and five are pivotal to it all. Now be strong, Zerubbabel. Now be strong, Joshua, now be strong, all you people of the land, for I am with you, the great I am, the eternal, immortal God, from everlasting to everlasting. 
the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. The one who was and is and is to come is eternally present in your life as he was in their life. Can you imagine hearing God say to these people, I am with you. I wonder if some of them, they might have heard the words and just inserted one extra word, still. I am still with you, perhaps. Because they would have looked at their last 16 years and they would have seen all of the ways that they were meant to build for the Lord and instead built for themselves. And therefore the people of God looked like a shadow of who they should have been. They, they look like a people who are self-centered and, so, and storing up and building their own kingdoms, not the Lord's kingdom. And society, society was perpetuating injustice as, as money went into, po- it went into bags, that went into holes, that it went into other people's pockets. This does not look like the people of God. And yet, after 16 years of this, after 16 years of having misaligned priorities, there is still a cry from the Father in heaven. I am with you. Still? Even after all this, Lord? Yes, and more, because I was with you in Babylon as well. And I was with you in the days of the evil kings of the later part of, of Israel. And I was with you through Saul, and I was with you through David, and I was with you through Solomon. And before that, I was with you in the evil, dark days of the judges. And before that, I was the one who led you through the wilderness into the promised land. And before that, I was the one who took you out of Egypt. I was the one who crossed over the Red Sea. I was the one who brought the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And through every single season, I am with you. Every season. And therefore, friends, if he can defeat Egypt... And if he can defeat Babylon, and if he can go through the wilderness, and if he will lead you back to the promised land where you were always meant to be, then to quote Romans 8, what is going to separate us from the love of God? Because our God is still with us. So there's a pandemic. So there are many lockdowns. So there is economic crisis wherever we look. So there's a failure of leadership, so we no longer know who to trust. In every single season, I am with you. And you want two pieces of truth to know for sure that God is really with you? They come in verse 5. In verse 5, the first piece of truth that we have, that we know, we're not just hearing something out of the blue. This is evidence that God is with us is this. It's the Mosaic Covenant. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. So for all of those things, for all of those seasons, through the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, you are still somehow, miraculously, amazingly, despite anything that you have done, you are still in a covenantal relationship with your Father. You are still in relationship with Him. There is a return of the people to the promised land, and yet after 16 years of failing, the promises, the blessings, the inheritance of the covenant that he has with them are still there. Guys, you can't fail your way out of covenant with God. 
you can't mess up too bad for him. Because the moment you think that you are the one that went too far for him to redeem, you're forgetting that there was a moment, just a moment in time, when we, he had not just all of your sins, but everyone, every single human being who's ever lived or who will ever live, he has all of everyone's sins, not the seen things, the unseen things, everything on his shoulders. And he cried, it is finished. And he restored you back into covenantal relationship with God. So you aren't too messed up for him because collectively humanity was not. So you, the individual, the one, you are redeemable. You can be brought back into relationship with him. The proof that he is with us is that he has a covenant relationship with us. And just here, a couple of these, couple of these verses from Jeremiah. Last night, Gareth quoted from Jeremiah a prophecy about the people of God when they return whilst they were still going to. Well, in just two chapters after that, in chapter 31, he says this over the people of God for when they return. Verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built. There's a lot of, no, 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 no. God is faithful to you. And if you break your covenant with him, he is still faithful to you. Verse 33 and 34 of the same chapter. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Do you see, friends, how God, in his relationship with us, has tied himself to us so that we are inseparable from God? You cannot take God away from his people. And because of his faithfulness, you cannot take his people away from God. There is an inexplicable, uncontainable, joyful bubbling up of the phrase, I am yours and you are mine. There is that deep-rooted, covenantal, unbreakable language that is there. So when you relate to your Father, when you call before Him, when you wonder about the disorientation of who you are, you can go back and say, Abba. Abba. Just say it, Abba. Abba. Because you're still his child. Because you're still in relationship with him. And that leads us on to the second piece of evidence in verse 5. The first one was the covenantal relationship that he is proving faithful to. The second one is that sweet phrase. My spirit remains in your midst. My spirit is still with you. And they tie together. Because the Holy Spirit will remind you of who you are. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and you can say sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so the first piece of evidence is that God is still holding to his covenantal relationship with you. And the second one is that you can be doubly sure of that because the second piece of proof is reminding you of the first piece of proof, that you really are God in your heart, is reminding you of who you are. And the best way that he can remind you of who you are is to remind you that you are not your own. You are his. You cry, Abba, Father. You cry that most intimate phrase, that, that most delicate of words, Abba, Father before him. And you enter into the very heart of God. You're no longer a stranger on the side. You're not a visitor who has to knock at the door. You enter into the very heart of the living God with the cry, Abba. And you can cry, Abba, because the Holy Spirit still remains with you. You are a people of the Spirit. And David, when he messed up, in Psalm 51, the painful cry of, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, can be echoed to the people. And the cry from God is, I never did. My spirit remains with you. And there's a phrase here that I've tried to latch onto. I've tried to grab a hold of as much as I can. I've struggled. I was wrestling last night with this, like, God, I still haven't got this thing, and Gareth did so well, and this is, I'm going to mess this one up. <laughs> but he's good, so this morning he woke me up to get it. Remains. My spirit remains with you. Doesn't come and go like a flash but we treat him like that. My spirit remains with you. In fact, that word remains, it's interesting, the, NS, uh, the NASB translation uses a different word. Abides. My spirit abides with you. Echoes of Jesus in John 15. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. There is an abiding nature of the Holy Spirit inside each one of us. The question is, do we abide in him as much as he abides in us? To use Galatians 5 language, do you continually, ongoing, walk in step with the Holy Spirit? Or do you treat him like a, like a dip service? You dip in and then you dip out. Friends, I've got a conviction here in me personally that I can abide in the Holy Spirit more than I do. But I would like to propose that maybe as a church as well, it is time to abide in the Spirit. It is time to linger in Him. I'm not talking about the prayer meeting, I'm not talking about the church service. In our everyday lives, as each one of us, the people of God, if we want to restore the former glory of his dwelling place, if we want to see the manifold glory of God established in the church, we've got to abide. 
We've got to not play lip service to him. We've got to not dip in and dip out when we feel like it. We can't just have a Holy Spirit moment every now and then in the life of our church when every moment should be filled and fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. My friends, are we abiding in him as he continued to abide in us? And for Haggai, this this conversation around your covenantal relationship and the power of the Holy Spirit to witness to you that you do have this relationship with him means that you no longer are an orphan. Now you're an heir. Friends, you belong. You belong. In our Bible reading plan or whatever, we start to think strange thoughts. Strange thoughts that are completely outside the scope of the gospel. Like, like our relationship with God is somehow tied to how we feel about him and how close we are to him. And if we're not careful, we're going to make an idol out of our own feelings and emotions and experiences. To the point when I feel great when I'm close to the Holy Spirit, but then when I'm not close... I somehow feel like I've lost some of the blessing or some of the favor or or some of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But that's not true because you're not an orphan. You're a child. And so every time a child goes off and does something wrong, what does the parent do? He might discipline, but he'll welcome him back. He'll bring him home. You are still my child. Your relationship with me is not based on your performance. And if there is a parent in the room, We have a really great parenting course. I want you to chat to Gareth, chat to Rob. We can get you on the course. Because our relationships with our family is not conditional. It is not, I can't just not be the brother of Rebecca, Hannah, Rachel, and Beth. Even if I try to run away halfway around the world from them for 10 years now, I'm still their brother. That's never going to change. They might like it to change. But it will never change. And friends, your relationship with God too will never change. But there is a desire in his heart for you to cry, Abba. And for you to enter into the abiding work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So friends, you are not orphans. You are now heirs with God. And so every time you feel a little bit distant, I dare you in your heart to fight through the temporary feeling and to remember your eternal relationship with him. And to say, God, I am still a child of the promise. The Holy Spirit is my seal and my guarantee that I am in relationship with you. And so I will not let world circumstances pull me further from you. And I will not let my emotions and my feelings determine my relationship with you. I am your child, not an orphan. I am your heir, not a stranger. I'm not going around for scraps from the dinner table. I've been invited to sit in the feast of the Lamb. And so I am going to enjoy the richness that comes from my relationship with God. I'm going to enjoy the covenantal promises. I'm going to enjoy the overflowing of the Holy Spirit, this lavish outpouring of all that is God. I'm going to enjoy that. and I'm not going to let something get in the way. And so, friends, I dare you to act like you belong in his presence, to act with bold confidence that you are walking into a throne room of grace, of grace, the saving grace that brought you into covenantal relationship with him. I dare you to come before him with bold access saying, you're the God of immeasurably more and I am here.
and I am yours. I dare you to act like that. You have got in this passage, just from verses 7 to 9, five different occasions when the person who is telling you these things is described as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. This is not a stranger telling you that maybe something is possible. This is your creator telling you that you are his. And so enter back into that relationship with him. And so the Lord is with us, friends. He is with us because he has always been with us. And he is with us because his spirit abides in our midst, remains with us. And if you will remember that the purpose of them hearing that the Lord is with them and that they have a covenantal relationship and that the Holy Spirit is still with them, the purpose of all of that is something very simple. One word, one command, work. Work. There is something that we have in store for us, part of our inheritance, part of our blessing with the Lord. And and what the guys were being asked in Haggai 2, what what the guys were being asked to do was to build back the temple, to put right the wrong priorities that they had in their hearts, and and to see the the glory of the Lord re-enter the temple. So I've got a very awkward question for you. Where's the glory They've been told to build a temple. They've been told to build a place where the presence of God would reside. Where's the presence of God in Haggai 2? As they're being told to build for the presence, where is the presence? Because, man, this is the Old Testament. So you would know if the glory of God is there. Okay? Just ask Moses. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Okay, a glory cloud that descends on Mount Sinai, like big scary cloud of echoing thunder that's not thunder, it's God's voice. You're going to know if the presence of God is in your midst, okay? Or, or, or why don't you ask Elijah? Why don't you ask Elijah who, who called out for the presence of God and the power of God and it came from fire from heaven? And then later on, it came in a whirlwind through a storm. Or why don't you ask Solomon? who dedicated the first temple. And when he dedicated the first temple, it said that the glory of the Lord filled the temple so much that the people who were there, the ministers, couldn't even stand in the room. So if the presence of God is in the building of God, you will know about it. It is clear. It is obvious. It is a powerful display that God is in the room. So where's the presence? Because in the first temple, they couldn't even stand. But in this story, there isn't even a temple to stand in. In this point in the story, there seems to be no glory. There seems to be no presence of God in their midst. So the question is, where is the presence of God in Haggai? Where is his greater, later glory that is better than the former? Can I fast forward a few few chapters and a few books? And the word became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace, full of truth. That's where the glory is. The glory is in the one of whom 
Colossians 2.9 says, The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hebrews 1 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Where's the latter? Greater glory. Not in a place, but in a person. The glory of God coming in the person of God. And then as the glory of God descended, incarnated, tabernacled amongst us, so the Holy Spirit fell and rested upon him. And as the Holy Spirit rested upon him, Jesus started a work of edging out the fulfillment, the, the, the fulfillment of the glory and the presence of God. He was those living waters that we heard about this morning. He was the purpose of the signs and the miracles. They were all pointing to him. He was the person who would say, that I'm going to tear down the building that in a guy he was asking them to build. He was the one who was going to tear down the curtain so that you can enter the Holy of Holies. He is the one who promised to help her, a constant companion, so that the presence of God wouldn't just be in the person of God, but would then be in the people of God. And so, where is the presence? In the person of Jesus, but also now somewhere else too. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Where's the presence of God? Not in a place. And not no longer even in a person. But in his people. I am with you. My spirit remains in your midst. Elijah's fire from heaven and whirlwind on the day of Pentecost didn't just surround them, but dwelt inside of them. Moses' pillar of cloud, wind by day, pillar of fire by night, didn't guide them from the outside, but came inside to be the companion who would always guide. Friends, the presence of God is inside you, no longer just remaining with you, but now in you. Friends, this is the greater glory. This is the prophecy of the book of Haggai. This is what it means when 1 Corinthians 6 says, says don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Not a building, but a dwelling place for God. God himself in you. Which means he must have done a mighty work in you. Think about all of those lists in Exodus. 
marketing exactly what the ark should have looked like and exactly what the tabernacle should have looked like. He wasn't being picky. He was just being holy. And in the temple of God, in all the ways that David was told to collect various things of various shapes and sizes and amounts, he wasn't being picky. He was being holy. And that holy God is inside you. He must have done a mighty work inside you. He must have purified you to the extent of holiness. He must have taken out all your unrighteousness. He must have put in all of his righteousness. If you are a believer in God, it is not just that your sins have been washed away, but it's that the fullness of God in the person of the Holy Spirit now dwells in you too. A Holy Spirit for a holy people on a holy mission to show his glory to the ends of the earth. Friends, you are his dwelling place, which is why you can't jump in and jump out of him. And everything you do, the work that you are called to, the things that you've stopped believing he can do, because you forgot, you were disorientated, that you are a person of the Spirit, with the immeasurably more God living inside of you, with the God who can do far more than you could ever think or imagine, living inside of you, calling every moment, guiding you into every conversation and into every place and into every moment, all for the purpose of building towards His glory. This Holy Spirit, He dwells in you. And so, friends, abide in Him. Remain in the Holy Spirit as He remains, not with you now, but He remains in you now. And my friends, as Haggai has reorientated us into who we are and to what it means to be a child of God again, a person of the Holy Spirit, perhaps you're thinking of the ways in which you have missed that mark in the last couple of years. In Haggai, restoration looks like coming back to the place where you belong, into his presence. Where's Spatley? There, at the front. Spatley, thank you for being the first person to get up and to ask for prayer. That takes guts. That takes courage. Everyone's looking. And your thing was, I need prayer for, because I'm suffering, because I'm in hardship. And then after prayer, there was an unexplainable peace in the midst of my surroundings. I love that testimony. And friends, there are many specialists here. There are many people who need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit again. Not an outpouring as a one-time deal, but a rededication to abiding in the power of the Holy Spirit and to dwelling in his presence as he dwells inside of you. And so maybe, maybe the band guys, I can ask you to come up. Can I ask us to close our eyes for a moment?
Are you perhaps feeling the same craving that Spratley did last night? Are you perhaps realizing that in this season where you've been disorientated, what you need more than anything is to dwell in his presence. And as verse 9 ends, of the peace of God coming with his glory, you feel that same need for his peace now. You feel that same need for him to quieten the waves and the storms of your life and to remind you that you are his, to remind you that you are still in covenant with him, remind you that you can still call Abba out to God again. This is not an optional extra for the extra special believer. Each of us are called to be in the presence of God. So friends, with our eyes closed, I'm going to ask if you feel like you need the Holy Spirit to come and be present in your life again. I'm going to ask you to stand and to wait for him. To say, God, I'm here for more of you. God, I'm here for your Holy Spirit. God, I need your presence in my life. I need to be reminded of who I am and what I'm called to. takes being honest with where you are but it also is a gift of faith for you believe God can do more in your life you believe God can be present and in a moment I'm going to ask us to pray is there anyone else who feels like I need the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, we invite you here in this place, in this moment, we invite you to realign us, to reorientate us to who we are. Come and speak, God. Come and speak clearly to us. And come and stir our hearts. you, Lord. This morning during worship, I got given some verses by God and I felt like I had to hold off on them. And then I listened to Tom preach and I had to chuckle. And I thought, okay, well, I don't need to do anything. But I felt like God wanted me to still come up and, and to read the scripture because I feel people are still holding back. And I felt God say from John, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And again from John, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Yeah. Now remain in my love. And I just feel that there might be people that are still holding back. Stand up 
Stand up. Um, so yesterday there was a woman um, at the back and um, she was praying in tongues and I, I could hear I had this voice that um, things are turning around and I like I had it I heard it so clear but I was like I was scared and I went back home I was like God I'm so I'm so sorry I didn't share that and God was like it's okay and today when they were singing um, the song that um, come to the altar and I had God so clearly and this time I felt this so much in my heart so strongly that there are people who have accepted God as their Lord and Savior a long time ago and but it's like they feel like they're so distant they feel like they're so into deep they feel like well I've been so far into deep into my sins they feel like if I could get this right then I could come back if I could get this right, then I could come back to God. But God is saying, come back as you are. Come back as you are. I know you, I created you. And I said, it is good when I created you. I know who you are. I know everything about you. I know what you've done. I just want to restore you. Come back. Come back. And I feel like you've been out here hustling by your own power and you feel like I'm drained you are drained and God is saying come 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 to me I can easily just open that door I can easily just open that door for you come let me restore you my child come to your father come let me clothe you two pictures as we were preparing for this as well for some of us one was of uh, God dusting off cobwebs over us saying you've been dormant for too long let me reactivate you now and the second picture I had was of a, a tree in our garden and at the moment it's got leave, two types of leaves and both are green but, but one type of leaves you can tell it's old it's a it's a much darker shade of green, and it's, it's, it's starting to shrivel up. And yet on the same branch, there, there are other types of leaves. And these leaves, you can see they've just grown, and they're, they're bright green. And I felt God saying, I need to prune some of the old. I need to breathe life into some of the new. And so friends, what we're going to do now is two things. Number one is I want to pray for those people who need the presence of God in their lives. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit once again fills us so we know who we are in Him. But the second thing is that I'd also like us to pray that we would be a church that is constantly in pursuit of being Spirit-filled. By God's grace, this is such a high value in our hearts, but we need to pursue it. We need to not stop we need to keep asking, how can we be more in tune with your Holy Spirit? 
And so if you feel God speaking to you right now, maybe you're one of the people who've been standing and lingering in the presence of God. Maybe there's a, a one of the four words that has come now. I want you to maybe you just put up your hand and then around the room, if there are any community group leaders, if you serve in a ministry of some kind, those are the guys that are going to come to you and they're going to pray for you right now. Okay. So just raise your hand so the leaders know who, who we're praying for. There's a couple of hands going up. People who are standing, I'm sure they're the people that we want to get our hands on. And, and just like in Acts 2, we lay our hands and we pray. And then the promise of the Father, the power from Most High will fall. And I said we're children. We don't twist His arm on this stuff. We just believe His promises. So if you're a leader, please jump up, grab someone around. If there's someone next to you who's not being prayed for, jump towards them and pray. And if that's not you, I'm going to ask, if you're not being prayed for or praying for someone, I'm going to ask you to jump up as well so that we're all standing. And I want you to pray for us as a church, that we will be a church that abides in the Holy Spirit. And so you can just pray. Maybe you want to grab a couple of people around you and pray for this. But let's take the prophet Haggai at his word. The Holy Spirit is still remaining with us.